They say what they can't radio. Welcome to Soul Share, a conversation focused on love, intimacy, vulnerability, and emotional intelligence. This is a different kind of relationship dialogue for those who want to make the shift from the ego-driven to more intimate, spirit-nurturing partnerships that satisfy, because that's what black love is. Black love is powerful. Black love is soulful. Black love is a love that you can feel. Give thanks. Greetings. This is Shashetta Kepra, the Intimacy Junkie, and welcome to Soul Share. Tonight, I have with me my brother Kent. That's right. You're back in the building. Well, you know what? It was supposed to be two other uh, co-hosts, but I have to send out some healing energy to Fresco. He got into a car accident, so he needs some healing energy and some positive vibes. So I want all my peoples to send it out to Fresco. Get well soon. Speedy recovery. Yeah, bro. All the best to you, man. Real talk. Well, last week, he actually brought up an interesting point, which you, Kent, said that you wanted to definitely discuss and touch on. And you stressed that and you made a huge deal about that. So... I mean, I wanted him to really expand on his statement, but um, I don't feel what he felt. That's that's why I wanted to have, you know, like a healthy debate about it. I didn't um, I didn't want to just let him get off the hook with that statement because I feel like the last part he added on, which was black women included, mm-hmm. I disagree with that wholeheartedly. Like I feel in our culture. From the beginning of time, our women have been the ones who are protecting our culture, pushing our culture forward, and making sure that everybody's good. Like, the men, the kids, everybody, the elders. So, that's really what I wanted to discuss with him. Mm -hmm. But, you know, unfortunately, he's not here to, you know, really discuss it. But I definitely feel like that last part, that black women included, because... There's always pressure from the outside. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, if he said, you know, from other cultures or in corporate America or whatever, yeah, you know, I feel that. As a black man, I could I could respect that kind of viewpoint. Well, you know what? Let me, before um, we go any further, let me clarify, because maybe some people didn't see part one. Okay. So let me clarify what his statement was. He was saying that, he felt in present times, black men are hated more across the board than back in the days. And including, he felt black women hated black men more so, which you disagree with that. And you believe that, you know, black women are holding black men down. And Yeah, I, I believe that more so, I mean, I can't even say more so now, just throughout the history of our, of our race, black mm-hmm. women have been, more of our backbone than anything else. Like, that statement to me was, you know, it was a little off that last part. I was like, eh, I don't know, bro. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because these days, you know, and, and I think also, too, it could be that he feels that black women are holding men more accountable these days. Mm-hmm. So what he interprets as hate, 
it might not be hate. Right. It might be frustration Mm -hmm. based on the fact that black men aren't necessarily doing their part. You know what I mean? Like, I shouldn't say their part. Accountability feels a lot like an attack when you're not prepared to face yourself, you know? So maybe that's exactly. And I don't want to, you know, yeah, speak we can't for speak him. for him. Yeah, that's the thing. Not here. So when you get back, <laughs> we could we could chop that one up. You know. Yeah, yeah. So we're gonna keep with the um the previous conversation as far as our vulnerability and you know you went over as what it looks like for mm-hmm. you. So mm-hmm. what I really want to um get into is how are we going to inspire more men to seek therapy and seek guidance as to get more comfortable becoming vulnerable? Well, I think uh, black men got to first know for themselves and go to therapy themselves. Like if you, if you take stock of your own life and you make a decision like, you know, I want to do better, I want to feel better, I want to help those around me, it starts with you. So when, once you go and you get all that past stuff out the way and all your hurts are healed and you become a whole person, I feel like going forward, you could tell your bro, hey, yo, therapy ain't for crazy people necessarily. Like, because I, I think that's a big stigma in, in black communities also. Only crazy people go mm-hmm. to therapy. But if you have a positive experience where you, you know what I'm saying? Like you break down all that old stuff and decompress and you get back to who you really are and then you build yourself back up and you get strong again. You could tell another brother or you could tell a family member or even a a female. Like it doesn't have to be a male. You could tell everybody around you. Look, if you feel like you're constantly like living in the past or you have all these negative thoughts or, you feel like your self-esteem is low or things ain't really working out how they're supposed to, you might really need to talk to somebody. But, you know, you you made an interesting point last week where you said you don't know until you know because a lot of men, because they were conditioned and and trained and society has it that this is what their idea of masculinity should be. So how would a, a, a brother know that he needs to be in therapy if the way that he is is working is working for him because now it's like we're in this um i mean america cuz i don't want to just limit it cuz uh, like i said in the macro society we we're in a sexist misogynistic society and that's america itself but if black men benefit from being in a sexist society and being, you know, a misogynistic and that whole toxic masculinity, if they're benefiting from it, how will he know that That's... he needs to go to therapy? Because there's no, you know, we're not um, trained or or men aren't um, socialized. There's no value in them having emotional intelligence. The value for men is, you know, to be able to be protectors, providers, and all of those other things that's deemed masculine. But there is no value in a man having emotional intelligence. Well, uh, two things before you keep going. Okay. The first is, I don't know if black men are benefiting from this type of society. I'd say we're surviving in it. Mm -hmm. I don't know if we're benefiting from it. Like, 
I feel that in in this society, if a black man is smart enough, he can navigate through it just enough to make sure that him and his family is good. If you're not smart enough and you get caught up in all the other traps that are set, you're just screwed anyway. So I don't I don't think this society is conducive to any minority, any black or brown person to elevate themselves. It's not conducive to our overall health and well-being at all. So I wouldn't say benefiting, but I do see that there's certain certain things that we could use if we're smart enough to elevate ourselves. That's what I see. Mm -hmm. um, the other thing is the second part of what you said, I feel like black men do need that kind of like um, emotional intelligence you speak of because we have to relate to y'all. Mm -hmm. We have to relate to our kids. We have to relate to our mothers, to our aunts, to everybody. So there, there is value in that for us. It's just, I, I think a lot of times um, we get caught up, like you said, trying to be out there and work and provide. And we put so much of our mental focus on providing so much of our mental focus on protecting that we kind of lose in other areas. You know what I mean? So, But sexism almost, you know, sexism almost guarantees that he doesn't have to relate. You know, it almost lets you off the hook from actually having to relate to us. That's outside pressure. What I'm talking about is inside the home. Like, however you slice it, I still have to relate to my woman. However you however you look at it, for for our family unit to strive and thrive, mm -hmm. I have to relate to you. Mm -hmm. No matter what you say. I I need to be I able agree. To... I know I totally agree. But we know and we see and we observe there's a lot of men who don't feel that they have to understand their women. They don't have to relate. They don't have to you know what I mean? They, they don't have yeah, to. But I don't I don't know if that's um based on society, I think that's more personal because you, when you get to a certain maturity level, right, just in life period, you realize like, all right, I could still run around with a bunch of women if I want to, but how does that really help me at this age? Like I'm 41. I'm not looking for like a thrill anymore. You feel me? I'm looking for like somebody I could build with because at this point I got my finances together somewhat. You know what I mean? Like I got my mind on the right track. So I'm looking for somebody who's going to be able to meet me on that same wavelength so that we could do some things so we could secure our future and lay a foundation for the next generation so that when they get to our age, they don't have to worry about certain things. So we, we definitely like, it, it's like, um, it's like you're you're about to do some work and you need a partner. Anything you do with anybody, I don't care what it is, you have to be able to communicate to talk about what you're doing so you can do it effectively. You Absolutely. have to. I, I completely agree with you. However, what you're saying, mm -hmm. I'm not sure that's the norm. Or there's a lot of people who may not necessarily feel that that's the norm because there's a lot of guys who are in their 40s, late 30s, who are still functioning at the emotional level of 17-year-olds. 
you know. So and I'm sure that's right too. You I mean, know, and I'm and that's and that. that's what I see a lot of women complaining is that you know a lot of these men need to grow up, and mm. so you know, with that being said, how do we even bring brothers to that point where they feel like it's time that I need to mature and develop emotional maturity? Well, two things could do that. One, I think a big problem in our communities is mentorship. I don't think we have enough older men who've lived the right way, so to speak, Mm -hmm. to speak to younger men about what they need to do, like how it needs to be done. Like a lot of times, and and women as well, women need coaching from an older woman, much like men need coaching from an older man to tell you, bro, like you just got to relax. Like you can't be so uptight all the time. You can't be so angry all the time. You know what I'm saying? Like that kind of thing puts people off, both your wife, your kids, whoever. You know what I mean? So we need mentorship in our communities, but it's like, Based on a lot of stuff that happened in the 80s where the men who are needed now are either incarcerated or were incarcerated, a lot of men are just missing. They're Mm -hmm. just not there. So the men who are my age now, a lot of us don't have that mentorship from an older person to tell us, you know, bro, that's not the way. I did it the wrong way. I did this and that. I had fun. I had all these women on the side. I blew my money drinking and getting high and doing all this stuff for me mm-hmm. selfishly, you don't want to do that. You know what I mean? Like we don't have a lot of that. You know what I'm saying? So I think that's, that's something that's missing mm-hmm. for sure. That, that would help a lot. You know what I mean? Because like, like I said last week, I don't know who agreed or not, but a brother to me is more relatable to me. You know what I'm saying? Like, especially if I know you've been through it. Right. Like, like what people call today OGs, who they refer to in like a street way or like a drug game way or, you know what I'm saying? Like if you was in a gang and you was really giving it up back in the days, they look at that as an OG. But it's the same concept. It's like basically you already did what I'm about to do or mm-hmm. what I'm trying to do. So you could give me advice and really hold me down so when I go in the field... I know what to do. I'm prepared. That's what an OG does. I see. I love, I, I mean, I personally love just being in the presence of elders because there's so much wisdom that right, you gain from them. So, I, I mean, I can sit around and talk, you know, and just, you know, chop it up with them all night long, all day long because they have a wealth of knowledge. Mm-hmm. But what I also notice is the, you know, and I hate to, you know, be judgmental and, and I know it's going to come across like I, and, and the millennials, they, they have such an unwillingness to seek guidance. That's what, I mean, that's what I see. I don't know if you see the same thing. So it's like, and even if you have elders that's trying to reach out to them and trying to offer it, they immediately reject it. You got to be relatable. Okay. So you think that's what it is? It's like they're not, I know they don't know how to, they don't, Listen, okay. Speak on it. Black people in our culture, and in our, in our society, older people don't feel like they need to be the ones to build the bridge for the next generation. When you look at other generations, other cultures, I should say, and how they handle that generation to generation relationship, 
they live almost for the next generation. They mm-hmm. don't really live for themselves. If you look at the Jewish model, even how they raise their kids is different. Mm-hmm. Like mommy and daddy have a kid, yeah, but grandma and grandpa are more involved than even they are. Mm-hmm. They're then freed up to go out there and buy a new house, buy a new building, open this restaurant, open this clothing store, so that when the kids get of age, they could take over from them. And it helps as far as maturity. Because, you know, like in our communities, we have kids young. Like my first son, I had him when I was 20. Right. When you're 20, you know nothing about parenting. Absolutely nothing. How that Jewish model helps is the grandparents being infused in the situation. They're able to help with the kids. They're more patient because they're grandparents. They already Mm -hmm. did it. Mm -hmm. They're at a point in their life where they're not so energetic and hype. And they already lived it. They've been there, done that. So now they could relate to the kids and take care of them. And when you come in now, your kids are just happy to see you, but they've already been fed. They've Mm -hmm. already been given a bath. They already did their homework. Mm -hmm. So now your time with the kids now is going to be more relaxed, more enjoyable for both, both sides of it. And I also feel like in our society, older people, I'll, I'll even say me included because I'm I'm learning from like my younger cousins. You need to be relatable. You can't come from that. Just do what I say, kind of mentality like how we grew up. Mm-hmm. They don't respond to that well because it's a different yeah. time. Yeah, <laughs> you feel me? Like you got to relate to them and talk to them as people. Like they're they are people. Mm-hmm. You feel me? Like you got to talk to them like how you would talk to a friend. Mm-hmm. But I think especially in Caribbean households. There's like a gap that parents call respect. Right. Like if mm-hmm. you if you grew up Caribbean at all, you know exactly what I mean. Like they want this respect where they can disrespect you or treat you poorly and you gotta eat that. Yeah, because you know it's me? because like, they because they use fair based tactics, you know? Yeah, like there's there's no actual relationship. But then when they get older and you grow up now, they wonder why y'all don't have a relationship. Because you bullied me, homie. Like, what else? What yeah, else is exactly. there to and, it? And I agree. And I did actually did a show on um, bullying and humiliation. And I said, sometimes parents are the child's first bullies. And, That's you know, you know, and, and I'm against spanking and beating because I think that is a form of um, bullying. I'm but, not, you know, I, I think, especially <laughs> young boys, like, I'm just telling you, based on the friends I had and how I grew up, some little dudes need to get smacked because we don't we don't understand any other way. You could tell a young girl, if you touch these headphones, you're going to get burnt. And a young lady will literally look at them like, okay, I believe you. A boy? Listen, man, we're going to touch that with both hands like this. I want to see how hot it is. Oh, God. And burn yourself because that's how we learn. So what you got to do is... When they do that, you got to smack fire out of them, too. So they get burnt here. And here. I'm, t- I'm just telling you, man. Yeah, Boys, yeah, but I don't know. We learn once they get burned, they already they already nah. learned the lesson. You just leave them. See? Nah, boys. That was different. hot, wasn't it? You don't have to beat them on top of that. See, that was hot, wasn't it? Nah. Make them touch it again. Because a boy will touch it again, but, like, put, like, mitts on it. Because <laughs> that's just how we built. Like, we just different. You know what I'm saying? But I want to get off topic. But yeah, that, that's yeah, because really yeah, we are kind of digressing. Yeah. But so now we still haven't, you still haven't said how do we get these brothers. Mentorship. To... That was one. Okay, I mentorship. started to answer. Yeah, mm-hmm. we're, 
we're lacking that. That's something that my generation. So who if, if, if who's who's gonna who's gonna be the mentors if the generation before you know like you said you know the high incarceration rates who's who's gonna be the mentor who's gonna who's gonna lead them you know to that that's what I'm saying my my age group mm-hmm. and I I mean I'm 41 but I'd say anyone like 45 anywhere between like 40 and 50 we could mm-hmm. say we're the ones who based on how we grew up because we. My generation grew up kind of rough. So it's not necessarily an age thing at this point, but you got to start somewhere. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? You can't just leave it and say, oh, who's going to do it? I'm not going to do it. Somebody got to do it. Because, at, you know, do, doing this work, and I'm, for, and I'm 45, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of people my age, your age, that I'm, they are just so dead set against the whole entire therapy. And no matter how much you therapy? try... Yeah, against therapy, against, yeah. you know, seeking guidance and even acknowledging that they have some level of trauma, you know. And when you when you want to talk to them, they shy away from that. That they, was the other question. That right, they shy answer. away from that conversation altogether. Right. You asked me, how would you know if you need therapy if you just don't know? Right. Mm-hmm. And my answer to that is. How do you feel? How do you feel? Mm-hmm. Do you feel healthy? Indeed. Indeed. If you if you feel healthy and you feel good and mentally you're fine, then okay, maybe you don't. But, but a lot but a lot of men aren't emotionally honest, you know. And you know, as a woman who, you know, tries to connect, you know, to my partners, you know, to the men that's in my life and asking them, you know. Mm-hmm. You all right? You good? I'm good. I'm good. That's the standard answer. I'm good. Yeah, but Always. that's but that's the answer to you. What I'm talking about is the answer to yourself. So if you're if you're still at a point where you're lying to yourself, you're probably never going to go to therapy anyway, right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I'm talking about the guy who literally can be introspective and say, "Man, yo, like when I find myself like on my lunch break or whatever." I'm sitting there thinking about something from the past and like dwelling on it and it's getting like an emotional reaction from me, like in my own brain, like, you know, I'm thinking about this past hurt or whatever, or thinking about this female, my ex, or thinking about how I grew up as a kid and it's making you upset. Mm -hmm. That's a sign. You might need to sit down and talk to somebody. So that's how. So like if you, I mean, you you just have to know yourself and really ask yourself some tough questions. Like, how do you really feel? If you feel like you're trying a lot of things in life and none of it seems to be working and it feels like life is beating you down, there's there's reasons for that. And, and I'm not saying that that might not be the case. Like, life really might be beating you down. Yeah. But, but we all know that not just men, but we're t- focusing on the men. When they have those conversations with themselves in those quiet moments on their breaks or, you know, when they're in the bathroom, you know, on the toilet or whatever, those little quiet moments that they get. Mm-hmm. The first thing that they do is instead of saying, okay, I need to so- talk to someone, they may spark. You understand what I'm saying? Or they may pour that drink or they may, you know, <clears throat> call that girl over and say, you know, right. just to distract them. You know right. what I mean? And yeah, it's but just what like, I'm saying is there's only so much of that you're going to do. Because you know everything, everything has its limits. So after you done drank 
fifty bottles of henny after you done smoke like a thousand spliffs, you're still gonna have to deal with yourself. Like that's mm-hmm. the thing about life. Like in my in my experience, life brings you the same thing sometimes in different ways repeatedly till you can master it. That's right. That's so right. it'll be Tanya today. It might be Maxine two years from now, but whatever the names are, the people or the thing, it's going to continually just keep hitting you. And then literally what I, what I found out is literally like the moment you master it, it never comes back. Yeah, absolutely. That's what life is about. It's like you won't graduate to the next level until you mm-hmm. master the level that you're on now. Right. But we see that there's so many people that perpetuate the same cycles over and over and over again, and they just get stuck. That's what arrested development is. You know, they get stuck at a particular place and they never get out of, you know, they never get out of that cycle. So I'm just, you know, sometimes it's very painful to sit there, especially when you have so many, you know, brothers that you, that you love and that you care about. And then you watch them and you watch them struggle and you watch them going through their challenges and you want to reach out and you want to connect to them. And as a woman, it's just like, what can I do that's going to connect and, you know, make that thing just resonate with him so that it's just like, okay, I'm here for you. I'm walking this journey with you. You know, just, you know, trust me, you know. But that's what I'm trying to tell you. I think it's like anything else, any other like addiction or hardship, the person has to come to the realization first Mm -hmm. for themselves. Mm -hmm. And then once you see like, whoa, I really, really have a problem. Then someone who they trust can help them along. But until they actually realize for themselves, like, listen, I got a serious issue that not only do I have an issue, but it's been bothering me for a long time and it's been kind of stifling my progress. That's like, it's like drug addicts when you hear they got to hit rock bottom. Yeah. Yeah. It's a similar thing. Like you have to recognize for yourself, like, I'm not okay. I need help. Mm Mm-hmm. And sometimes even at that moment, you don't know what to do. But then that's where somebody like you comes in and will tell you, like, well, you could, you know, go this path and seek this help and whatever, and it could be beneficial. Then you take the next step and, you know, so Yeah, because one of the things that you were saying is, like, when you're sitting there um, in those quiet moments and your mind is racing, Mm -hmm. like, people don't even realize that mind racing is a symptom of anxiety, you, when you're when you can't be in the moment and you can't be present and you're stuck and you're thinking about things in the past or you're thinking about things in the future and you have and you're struggling to be in the moment that is where anxiety and and a lot of us we suffering from that anxiety we have PTSD well I don't want to say PTSD you know post traumatic stress disorder because a lot of the stuff is not post anything because it's constantly you know ongoing it's ongoing you know as Mm -hmm. as black men you know living in a racist society and you know just like what fresco was saying the fact that he feels that you know we're uh, that they're you know hated now more than ever so it's not post-traumatic stress disorder it's it's yeah it's current it's perpetual Mm -hmm. you know so now because our brothers are suffering from anxiety and ptsd you know perpetual you know stress disorder and it's just and and trauma, I think that, you know, we need to have these conversations so that they can understand that when they're 
mind is constantly racing, when they're feeling that all is not well, that something needs to be done, and they're not alone. Yeah, I think, I, I think thinking about the past brings on more of a depression than anxiety. I think thinking about where you're going or where you want to go brings the anxiety because you're, you're like trying to connect the dots in front of you. Mm-hmm. So that's where the anxiety comes from. But anything from the past, I think, is more like depression. Like, because when, yeah. when you think about it, it's like it brings you down. It brings you to a different level where you're like. But that, that's, that, that's true. And so, so now you can both, you can have both depression and anxiety yeah. simultaneously. And when you think about it, those are very opposite things because depressions bring you down. Anxiety, you know, gets you kind of Fluster. anxious and flustered. So now you have two opposing, you know, things going on. And it's, and that's, and that's a real struggle. Sometimes this is why a lot of us, you know, we tend to get misdiagnosed because what it looks like in us versus them looks completely and totally different. So then now they want to put us on all types of medications and pills that's, you know, not necessarily, not necessarily for us. So that's why I think that it's so important that we have these healing circles and that men, you know, talk with other men. And if they're more comfortable talking or speaking with women, that they speak to women or whoever they're comfortable with so that they're not dependent on the medications that they're trying to, give to us all the time because some of the, I mean, the, the, the side effects on those medications and, you know, I've had my experience with them, you know, and I'm just, I wasn't feeling it because I, you know, I suffered from depression and I still, let me not say suffered. I suffer from depression and I've been dealing with depression since I was 16 years old and had a therapist since then more recently, you know, anxieties and panic attacks and stuff and the things that they try to prescribe me and this, I ain't with that. You know what I mean? So now it's more about having the support system. It's about, you know, reaching out and doing, you know, different types of things for, you know, for, you, for healing so that I'm not dependent on that. And we, and we see that out there, the struggles that a lot of our black men are having and being diagnosed as bipolar. You know, more recently we're seeing, uh, you know, some of these celebrities and, you know, even money doesn't, you know what I mean? It, it doesn't absolve you from having all of these issues. We see people out there like, who was it? Delonte West. We see what Orlando Brown and what their, their struggles and what they're going through. And AB. Yeah, you know, Antonio Brown, you know. Tripping right now. Yeah, you know. and Yeah. And they have access. Right. They have access to, you know, to the best type of treatment. So, you know, for us, we're you know, where access to mental health care is is so limited. And if people who have the money so that that puts them and gives them greater access, if they're still struggling, what does that say for us that we have to find alternative yes, methods? Man, that's what Big said. More money, more problems, man. Like, the more, the more money you have, it, like, it boosts everything around you. So... If normally you and your boy would smoke two blunts a day, you got bread, y'all are buying like <laughs> a pound of weed mm-hmm. and you invite all your homies. So now you don't just have a little weed problem. You got a big weed problem. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like same thing with drinking, same thing with everything. Like if your problem is you 
mess around like you got a wifey and you messing around when you got bread you messing around in every city now that your team goes to like mm-hmm. it, it's just it elevates everything so it's kind of actually more dangerous when you have money mm-hmm. because you could be more detrimental to yourself with more money than somebody who's broke you know mm-hmm. so it's, it's actually worse you know but i don't know man the brothers they gotta they gotta get it together man some of them need somebody to reach down and grab them and pull them up and say, yo, bro, I know you're having a rough time, but we're here for you. And others need to look within themselves and say, I'm tripping. <laughs> when was the last time you told another black man that you love him and that you're here for them? All the time. I got I got family, like, that I love, man. Everybody. Everybody in my family. Every time we talk, mm-hmm. it's, that's how it be. And, and even if we don't say... I love you all the time. I know for sure our family say I love you more than most families. But even when we don't, everybody feel that love. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, everybody. Mm-hmm. Tim, Brian, Cam, Dro, name it. All Everybody. And if I'm lying, y'all can hit the show and let them know I'm lying. <laughs> but... All but that's your that, but that I mean that's your blood. I'm talking yeah. about I'm talking about your brethren well, and your my family, homies. My family and, is my brethren, but but I, I see where you coming yeah. from. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, some of my dudes. It depends on, on on how we how we rock. You know, like if you if you my real brother, even though we not related. Yeah, I've, I've told like friends of mine I love them, especially. You know, in, in certain times, it's not it's not a regular, regular thing. Like, mm-hmm. every time we talk, every time I see them. But definitely, like, you know, it's, it's there. And, and that's another thing, too. I think that whole perception from being a young black man, like, yo, you got to be hardcore all the time. I'm like, yo, listen, man. It's like, it's like the, um, I've seen a meme about it on the gram. Dudes be fronting like every once in a while. You don't listen to like Whitney Houston or or Luther or something. You you not thugging it all day every day, bro. Like let's let's but, stop but, playing. But, oh, of course, but I mean listen, most man, men that I know, they love people like Anita Baker. You know, they love all that good that's stuff. That's what I'm saying. Like dudes front like that, but they in the shower. You know what I'm saying? Singing like some R&B, or you know what I'm saying? Like. Yeah, speaking you, of R&B tracks, it's about to hit up, you know, some R&B, uh, you know, Thursdays and shit like that. But, you know. Oh, <laughs> but this we we were talking about that last week, and I brought that up, mm-hmm. where there's, you know, 80s R&B was the epitome of black male vulnerability. So, y'all are listening to all of that because y- y'all, black men do feel, and I know that because I'm 45 years old, and I know what a brother who has feelings looks like. All of y'all are not savages, no matter how hard y'all try to front and want to act like y'all a bunch of savages and y'all, Women you know, too, profess. Though. Women been talking that savage talk for the last few years, too. So don't, Yeah, yeah that's, that's that. true, too. And that, that yeah. annoys me. It's like, I don't care how you profess to be a savage, male or female, man or woman, that's not going to fix your broken heart. That's not going to fix that <laughs> hole in your heart claiming to be a savage nobody's impressed by that so on on the music tip Mm -hmm. and we discussed this off air before as well i took the time to watch that r kelly documentary i watched that one and i watched the aaron hernandez one Mm -hmm. and um 
our generation of music isn't like that. I'm in love. Let me express my love, like in the '70s or even the '80s. Mm-hmm. Our R&B is like an R. Kelly, and the funniest thing, listen, man, I got every R. Kelly album, right? Just listen to R. Kelly. Unfortunately, how unfortunate! It is. What I've it never is. been an R. Kelly fan. That's fine. I mean, Kel's music, like on another show. You know, whether you like him or not, he's everywhere in black culture, even if it's just a step in the name of love at a wedding or whatever. Like, his music is everywhere in our communities, right? But the funniest thing happened after I watched that documentary. Like, I started listening to, like, songs that I used to really rock out to. And I actually listened to the lyrics, and I was like, yo, this dude is sick. My man said... My mind is telling me no, but my body's telling me yes. I don't want to hurt nobody, but there's something that I must confess. Like that, that's how he started the song that, that I swear to you, Kimmy, I've been listening to that song for ages, but since I watched the documentary, now I'm looking at it like, yo, this dude was really talking about how he felt in that moment with an underage girl. But why wasn't you thinking about that when the videotape dropped in 2002? When the song came out, it just was like a like a sexy song. Like it's something that you play. You know what I'm saying? It when wasn't you, his songs weren't sexy. His you, songs was graphic and they were just on. like gross. Oh my God. Okay. Listen, <laughs> I'm telling you what I felt and what other people I know felt. Do you know how many kids was made to R. Kelly music? Like, for real? I'm not telling you something I think. I'm telling you what I know. And I'm not saying it's I, right. I, I, I'm not, I don't disagree with you, but All I'm you know what I mean? That's is, not, I mean, R. Kelly's not what I'm choosing yeah, to, you we, know, we to. Got that. We got that. You know, we understand that. I'm just saying for me as a person now who used to be a real R. Kelly fan, it's just like amazing to me to hear his lyrics in a different light, knowing what was actually going on. And I had to be responsible enough within myself. Because even even this whole time when I heard about this documentary that I, I never watched until like last week, when I was hearing people talking about like mute R. Kelly, that was a whole movement, and different people saying they're not listening to R. Kelly no more, I'm, I'm just saying to myself, why are people um, coming down on him so hard when chances are, if you look at any and every other musician or singer or artist, they're just as messed up, but in a different way. Because artists are screwed up. Mm-hmm. I was thinking to myself, why can't people for Kells separate the music from the man? That's what I thought before I saw the documentary. Mm-hmm. But then after I saw it, I was like, this dude is really an animal. And then, animal. And, but see, and that's another thing. And I get the whole separate the music, you know, and the, the, you know, the deeds from the man and the artist. Mm-hmm. But why no one talks about the girls and what happened with the girl? Why, why don't no one care about that? I mean, I see when they talk about like what's going on with Weinstein, like, oh, well, if you're going after uh, Cosby and if you're going after R. Kelly, go after Weinstein. It's just like, why do you require or why are you begging for fairness to a predator and a rapist why 
why do you think that they deserve fairness and, you know, and equality across the board? No one's talking about the little girls that, you know, that he affected, whose lives that he's ruined, who are so traumatized now that they're going to have to spend the rest of their lives rebuilding. You know, no, everybody's just right. sitting up here just worried about, oh, R. Kelly is not being treated as fairly as 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 Weinstein or Epstein or this one. Who cares? They're freaking predators. They're monsters. There's animals. I could, Fuck I could giving I, them fairness. I, I agree. But I can understand where it comes from. Where it comes from is the criminal justice system has never been fair to black people, period. So what, what they're saying, if you, if you could kind of like table the type of crime that R. Kelly did, right? Let's just say it's stealing, right? There, there are people that come across my timeline on Instagram, Facebook, everything, where a black man in 1980 got arrested for stealing $200 out of a cash register, and he's still in prison right now. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, as you look at celebrities who do, like, all kinds of, you know, like, college entry, like, scams and all that kind of stuff, those kind of crimes... They'll literally go to a country club prison for a week and then they're out and everything is normal. Now, what I'm what I'm saying is if you if you balance it out and you look at it, we're treated way more unfairly. There's no disputing that. And and I think that's where it comes from. That's what I think. Well, but you know what? Even even though that there's no disputing that, I think that. When you look at, you have to look at the crime. So now for, for you, for there to be any level of sympathy, then you have to align yourself with that particular person. So for these people to really be caping for R. Kelly, caping for Cosby is because they align themselves with those particular men because there, there, there's women who I will never align myself with. So if anything comes to light about them, I'm not caping for them because I don't but align you know, myself you, with them. You know what's the funny thing, though? In that same argument where you're talking about why are people trying to, like, basically, like, they're not giving the same kind of credence to, like, a, a Weinstein or R. Kelly. The majority of the fans of R. Kelly who are saying this are women. It, that, exactly. It, so that's, that, and that's, that's awful. That's the that's scariest awful. part about your argument. That's awful. It's not even like it's men who are saying like, you know, like basically we should be equally allowed to rape. It's women who are saying that. Like, But there are, but there are women who are gatekeepers of sexism and misogyny. There are, there are women who are gatekeepers yeah, of that. That's a fact. And that's because of the society that we live in. And we have so much to, you know, unravel. And I'm seeing now everybody's, you mentioned uh, the, the Aaron Hernandez, um, documentary and I'm, you know, seeing more people watching it. And there's a lot of people who's feeling really sympathetic because they're just like, well, why aren't people, you know, focusing on the CTE and the fact that he was doing all of these things because he has CTE. So that so they feel that the documentary was kind of slanted because it didn't highlight that his behavior was as a result of the CTE. So that we should be more sympathetic and not view him as a monster. Similarly to people thinking that, okay, we shouldn't view R. Kelly as a monster because, you know, he was molested you know, as a youth, but they, these 
people still have victims, you know, right. and it's like everybody's trying to find some loophole to, you know, to, so to garner you, sympathy how from. That? How do you heal that? How do I heal what? You the, know, the entire situation. How do you how do you rehab? Because right now there there are R. Kelly like males in our society and females that are from our communities that they're, they're from our culture. They exist. How do you heal them and their victims? Like, what's what's the strategy? Well, starting with the conversation now, because, of course, we all know that, like, there's, what, 64,000 missing black women right now. We know that there is a sex trafficking epidemic, and our, and our young girls are getting caught up in that. You know, we seen, we saw, you know, when Sonny Alloway try to kidnap the girl on the train. We saw that, you know, so we see that these things is happening in our community. I mean, East New York, which I live in East New York is one of the biggest way a lot of that happens. And your question is, how do you heal it? We, but we have to acknowledge that there's an issue first. And now the men have to heal and the women have to heal as well. So now I, I don't know. I don't have all the answers. So okay. that's why these conversations are very, very necessary because we need to start making that step forward to, towards healing so that we can try to get, you know, we can try, so we can stop all of this where, you know, the men are taking advantage of the women, where men are feeling that our women, you know, are, are, are hating them. Like, we ha- we have to get to right. You got to come back and defend that. <laughs> you know, it's like she, we. <laughs> she, that's like the third time she brought. Whatever, but we we have we have to we have to figure it out. You know, and we we yeah, have to have different. real conversations, and we have to get to the meat of all of this. So, what do you think is the way that we can start healing all of these things? You know, um, well, from the predatory aspect, I think that's something that exists anyway. It's like albinos in nature right like you can't really explain them they they just happen but it's the effect right so if we can protect our kids like as parents sometimes we got to do a better job of not letting your kids sleep over so-and-so's house because you what you would allow or not allow in your house might not necessarily be the same in his friend's house or her friend's house because back in the day it was for your daughter, somebody would violate her. But these days, they're violating boys, too. Mm-hmm. So I think it starts from a protection aspect. If you could have, I don't want to call it a crop, but it would be more like a generation of kids. But who- clearly, it's not nowadays that they just violate. Our boys have, our men have been, R. Kelly was violated. That's and there's I'm, a lot, no, no, and there's that, a lot that's of, the there's answer. a lot what of What I'm saying is, if he was protected, because if, in the same documentary, it basically touched on the fact that his mother was, I don't want to call her an addict, but she had some kind of substance substance issues. Mm-hmm. So she got these three boys and I think two girls, if I remember. Mm-hmm. But it was definitely three boys. But what I'm saying is they were basically able to just do whatever. Like, there was no supervision. So maybe in that instance, if he was more protected and supervised on a day-to-day basis and he made it out of childhood without being victimized Mm -hmm. it's possible he wouldn't be a predator himself because what what i see and i I see it on both sides men and women like when a when a man is violated it's actually a similar result as when a woman's violated Mm -hmm. like both men and women 
they themselves turn into like some kind of predator or they have predatory behavior towards whoever did it to them. And my thing is, I, I don't know how else to heal it other than like stopping it before it starts to cycle. So how about, cause like you said, mm-hmm. the, the men who are um, violated then turn around and violate. Correct. The same thing that happened to R. Kelly. There's a lot of men because I've I've been in conversations with plenty of men where they brag, and which was also stated in the R. Kelly documentary about losing their virginities at ages even under ten years old, whether by the babysitter or by this one or by that one on the schoolyard, and this is like you know. Where are you losing your virginity at eight years old? You know, where are you losing your virginity at nine years old? Like you're, you're, you were molested. You didn't lose your virginity. You were, you were molested. And what I'm saying is that, that needs to stop because if you could stop the process before it starts, there's a higher likelihood that it won't happen later on where they become the predator. So why are we still bragging? Why are why are men still bragging about that? I can't answer that. I don't I don't know. Like it's it's just a thing. Men brag about a pair of Jordans. I don't know. Men <laughs> brag about anything. Like some men are just like that's where they're at in their in their mental. Like their their maturity isn't really there. So yet. if you're still bragging about losing your virginity at eight years old, then you, at clearly you're not gonna understand or you don't realize that you clearly have a problem. You don't understand now. If if that's your statement. And you you don't realize that you were actually a victim at that moment where, like, you didn't win. You actually mm-hmm. took an L in that moment. Mm-hmm. Then clearly that's where the problem is. Like, they're not mature enough to understand what occurred. So, again, what I'm trying to get across is I believe if you could, like, in a way prevent the cycle from starting. Because it's a self-perpetuating mm-hmm. cycle, how it looks to me. And I'm not a clinical psychologist or anything. But it just seems to me like once something like that happens, it's hard to stop it afterwards. Right, right. So the key would be to try to limit that by being present in the home, making sure that your kids are good so that they don't go through that, so that they themselves don't put others through that. And I agree with you on on, on that level, but for you, for for a parent to be able to prevent their child from doing that, that parent has to also recognize that this is what they need to do. So if the parent themselves haven't addressed the fact that they were victimized and they don't understand that they themselves were victimized because it's been so normalized, then how are they going to protect their children from it? So what I'm, so what I'm saying is we need to address our generation who still is viewing that as bragworthy mm. so that they can now protect their children and grandchildren, you know, from I mean, that level a, of that's abuse. That's education thing. And that, that can happen. You know what I mean? Like that, that can, I wouldn't say easily, but I think conceptually a person speaking to a person who's that way mentally, you can get across to them like, Bro, like that's not normal. It's not okay. And what you what you're looking at as basically I was young and got some ass mm-hmm. actually isn't that. You actually were like preyed upon by an older person. 
Right. And, and they need to understand that. And then once they know, it's a different thing. You know what I mean? But a lot of people don't know. And and all and the the not knowing mm-hmm. is what is causing so much difficulties in how men and women are relating to each other. So if you don't address that trauma, then you're not going to be able to connect to women. Then you're not then we're going to have serious intimacy problems. So that's what all of this is about. So that we can start to unravel all of these things so that we can connect to each other better. Right. We have a serious issue with intimacy with each other because we have so much trauma that is unaddressed and it's unaddressed because we don't even acknowledge and we don't even recognize that it is trauma. So now instead of, you know, sitting around with the locker room talking, bragging about losing your virginity at eight years old, when is that brother going to say to the bruh, I think you should talk to somebody about that because you were molested as opposed to just turning a blind eye to that. I don't, I don't know if that's where it's going to happen because like you said, I mean, I don't, I don't expect to gain healing at a bar. I mean, (laughs) for me, again, you have to have people in your life because certain situations where guys talk much like women, women do the same thing. You know what I mean? Like, Y'all sit around and talk about men and who did this better than the other. It's the same thing. And it's a bragging thing. But what I'm saying is I don't expect in that environment is where you're going to get some kind of healing or some kind of word to encourage you to seek help. I think you still need the people around you who are around you all the time, whether it's uncles, parents, friends, whoever. Those are the people when you when you let them know what happened in a more intimate situation like whether it's a one-on-one you and your boy just watching a game then you could have a conversation because it's different from eight people being in a room talking and then you come with this heavy statement well that conversation is not going to happen half time at the super bowl oh let's talk about your trauma when you was eight years old (laughs) if you and you and a person is watching a game in the crib you mean like you know y'all might both be like i'm a jet fan and you know my boy might pull up we watch the Jet game. And if he says something, I'm better able to address it on a one-on-one. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't want to put him out there in front of, like, a, a room full of people. You know what I'm saying? So, that's it. I don't know, man. We got we got a lot of work to do. I agree. So, when are you going to get this healing circle started for brothers? You putting a lot of pressure on the kids. <laughs> Absolutely. Like, I never, I ain't never Accountability. Accountability. I ain't never said I'm starting a healing circle. But what I will say is... I'm willing to help in any way I can. I might not be the one spearheading it, but, you know, I'm definitely willing to pull up and, you know, lend a hand. Mm-hmm. You know I mean, like, I'm here right now. So yeah. So you already know. And I think that, and I think that's where it starts, just letting people know that you're open and that I'm, I got you. You know, if you need me, I got you. That's it. That's all you have to say. If you need me, I got you. And that's all anybody wants to hear. Well, this was a really, really good conversation. You know, we brought it to the camera, and normally we have these conversations all the time. Right, right. And I thank you for joining me, Mr. Harvey. <laughs> so, I am Shashetta Kepra, the Intimacy Junkie, and I am signing out from SoulShare. Thank you.